Today's speaker, preacher today, is Tony Capusta. I whispered to her, I'm not the preacher, I'm just a guy doing the sermon this morning. Is this on? Now we go. Um, yeah, I'm just, whoa. Is that better? So, I help out with the youth group here. We got a good group of kids. Um, we've never done this before, so this was kind of a, somebody had told me about it. They had gone to a service at another church, and they said they had one with the youth group. They did it, so we're like, hey, let's try that here and see how it goes. All of our kids were excited. Usually they sit over here. I guess there's a couple of them there, but more of them are now down out front. So, um, so the sermon title this morning is What's at Stake? So a few weeks back, I was texting with a friend of mine uh, whether or not he would come here to preach at Lighty's Church sometime. Uh, he said he would, and I asked him what he would preach on. And he said, Ezekiel 22.30. Disclaimer, I did not know what that was off the top of my head. So I looked it up and uh, texted him back. And I said, that's a pretty heavy verse when you understand the implications of it. We'll get to what it is later on. And in typical Joe Shaka fashion, he says, Tony, the cross that Christ carried for you and me was pretty heavy. That's what I think about. So... I think my dad and Joe Shaka, my dad sitting over here, uh, probably raised their kids similarly uh, from the same playbook, I'd say, the Bible. As a kid, who grew up in the 80s and 90s? Would you say discipline's the same now as it was then? So, I'm not going to say any more. Um, so, um, so, before we would be disciplined for doing something foolish... Uh, my dad would often say, uh, Tony, I'm not only disappointed at you, but Jesus is too. At that point, I probably didn't know who he was. I knew the stories. I could probably recite most of them, but that's all they really were to me. I didn't really understand uh, who he was. So my dad's dad, uh, my grandpa, we used to call him Grandpa K. He lived next door. He served in World War II. He was on the USS Ticonderoga, a aircraft carrier, I believe, correct? I was gonna have his picture and then I didn't get to it. Um, he was a signalman. He never really talked much about the war. Um, he would go to watch fireworks with us as kids and then he'd always wear earmuffs. Um, anyone who'd be around that kind of stuff, it, uh, I guess, could be triggering for him, so he would he wanted to go with us, he wanted to spend the time with us, but he was nervous um, what the noises would do to him. So, but as a kid, that's all that was to me. It was a story that my grandfather had told me. Um, then, who remembers 9-11? 9-11 happened, I signed up, I went in the military. Um, there's a story that comes out of Ramadi, Iraq in 2008 they had um, one unit had just, they were wrapping up their deployment. Another one had come in and they have kind of like a turnover where they, you go on patrol with the other unit for a couple weeks. You might stay on guard duty. You do different things. Um, 
kind of let them know what to look out for. So the one morning, there's two Marines who are about to go stand guard duty. And the last uh, thing that they were probably told was to let no unauthorized vehicles pass. Uh, a couple minutes after they um, took their post, a truck comes racing towards them. Uh, the two Marines stood. Uh, they ended up dying, but the truck didn't get into the compound. But the Marines were just doing what they were told to do. They knew what was at stake had they left. Um, they watched the video the next day or a couple days later. Um, and they had exactly six seconds to figure out um, kind of the decision that they were going to make. Um, uh, Christ had a lifetime of knowing what was coming, and he still stayed the course. In Luke 22, 42, Christ, uh, Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He knew what was at stake if he didn't stand in the gap for us, eternal separation from the Father. Um, I didn't know the Marines in that particular story, but there's a connection there because I went through boot camp and I think Mr. Radcliffe's in here somewhere, the grandfather. Um, he's a Marine, so we always have that connection there, different generations, but, right? What's the Marine, the Marine? There you go, Helen. Um, but kind of like that, as my relationship with Christ grew, my understanding of different things in the Bible had changed. As a kid, I was probably treating the Bible more as a choose-your-own-adventure story. Anybody remember those? You like go to page 37 if you want to go here or go there if you want to do that. So I was treating it more like that. Uh, David's life had gone from a womanizing warrior to somebody who had a heart after the Lord. When David was confronted by um, Nathan after his sin with or his affair with Bathsheba and Uriah's murder, he humbled himself before the Lord seeking forgiveness. Samson went from a gladiator of a man who tied foxes' tails together, 300 of them, I don't even know how you do that, and then you gotta kinda like keep them all together somehow. Um, and then just to burn some crops off, and then, but he was God's deliverer for the people of Israel. And then Nehemiah went from working with one hand on a tool to uh, one on a weapon. I remember my mom had a Bible in the house that was um, children's Bible. There's pictures in it, and that's the one picture I remember a guy, one person standing there working, and then he has trowel in one hand, spear in the other, and I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. I don't really know how you're going to work with but, um But then it changed to Nehemiah's heart to rebuild the walls. So where does Ezekiel 22.30 come into all this? I, I got the Nehemiah story and the uh, Ezekiel story mixed up. Nehemiah says, I searched for a man among them who would build up a wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. Um, in my mind, it made sense. There was walls that needed to be built around Jerusalem at that time. And there was nobody to do it. The people were in despair. But, um, but Ezekiel 22.30 is actually, the Lord was looking for someone uh, to stand in the gap before him spiritually because uh, the people of Israel had fallen and done horrible things. The 29 verses 
before that were broken out into three parts describing what those issues were and what was coming. Verses 1 through 16 talk about the corruption of the city and its leaders and the sins that were being committed. Sexual immorality, not honoring the Sabbath, taking bribes, and injustices in the city were rampant that often led to bloodshed and murder. Uh, Verses 17 through 22 talk about the judgment that was coming. Uh, The house of Israel was described as dross, which is useless and thrown away. And then 23 through 29, they go right after priests and the prophets, and not just the people. Before that, the people were the ones that were being held accountable. And uh, the priests and the prophets were keeping the people in check. They were letting some stuff happen that shouldn't have been happening. And even after all of that stuff, 29 verses of uh, saying that you did all of this wrong, he still looked for a reason to save them. And then there was none there. So um, where do we go from here? I'm halfway done. We might be out by 11. So so there's three things we're going to look at that we can do as a church family, individual families, um, to stand in the gap for someone else who may not know the Lord or who does know the Lord. And there's hodgepodge of examples that I have. The purpose of those examples is not to draw is not to elevate the people in those examples, but just to show how God works sometimes through small, simple things that we do. And to encourage you, because I know for me, um, I've been the recipient of some of these, and the people may not have ever known what they had done and then how it affected other people. So the first one we're going to look at is serving other people. Uh, 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength of God or with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God might be praised through Jesus. To him be all the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Um, I put to paraphrase, to paraphrase Pastor John there, to strive for excellence in all you do. Um, anyone who went through his confirmation class or any of his classes knows that phrase. Um, years back with a different group of youth group, um, I think the Radcliffe's oldest might have been there. Um, we went to West Virginia and we looked at what it meant to serve that weekend. We had uh, three S's, we called them, selflessly, sacrificially, and satisfyingly. Uh, and they kind of had to go in that order. The, satis- the satisfying only happened after the first two were done um, with the right mindset where God gets all the glory. It's not what we do. It's not what we get out of it. Uh, back in February of Last year, I got to go down to Puerto Rico with a group of people from here, and it was an awesome trip um, that I think the Lord really blessed here, Um, not just the trip, but a lot of things that happened after that. And, um, but everyone there was willing to do whatever. I got to know Josh Hebner a little more there. He asked me about painting something. I said, this whole wall gets painted. And then I guess I made a mistake and I 
told somebody else something, and then he's like, but you told me this, and I was like, you are correct. So, um, my grandfather, again, the one that grew up, I grew up next to, um, we would ride our bikes up there, we'd walk up and see him, and ask him, hey, Grandpa, do you have time to help me with something? And most of the time, I'm going to see if Brandon, that's my brother right there, do you remember what he would say? He would say, no, I don't have time, but I'll make it. Um, so that's kind of what it meant to um, serve somebody, to put them up ahead of you. Um, so last week, I'm sitting over there. Ted Bruner's up here. We're jumping to the next point. What was Ted's sermon about last week? Prayer. Prayer. See, I can't even say anything. I'm sitting there. I'm like, Ted hit it like perfectly last week. So I'm like, what am I going to share about that now? Um, but to stand in the gap for someone through prayer, it's not just for their salvation, but also how you can come along them in life after that. Some, some may come to salvation, some may not. That doesn't mean you stop praying for them. Um, as a church family, we often affirm when people get dedicated or baptized that we would help raise their, um, support them as they raise their kids. That's one reason we do prayer cards here. Um, in a little bit, we're going to have a chance where the youth will come up and anyone in the congregation will be able to pray for them. Uh, Francis is up snowmobiling this week, but I was at his daughter's wedding over the summer, and the is Nelda here? I saw Nelda somewhere. Um, Elvin's uh, cousin, I believe, did the sermon. Is that correct? Yeah, Elvin's cousin did the sermon, and it was like, it was a gospel message through and through. I'm like sitting on a hay bale in the middle of this field, and I'm like, it didn't feel like a wedding, it felt like a church service. Um, but after that service, we went up in the barn, anyone who's been to a wedding knows that you do speeches, you do different things, and Francis comes up, and he kind of gets quiet, and he doesn't really like the spotlight, but he says... Uh, Judy and I have been praying for our daughter's husbands since they were little girls. Um, they were standing in the gap for their daughter before they knew who that husband would be. Uh, the youth here at Lighty's Church have four families who agreed to be specific prayer warriors just for them. And then uh, the last one is, uh, for years we would go up to Canada on a mission trip and I would always seem to run into Dave Guntz, not Dave, Beth Guntz and Karen Shaka at the bank, which I think Karen worked there. I don't think Beth does. But the first time I ran into them, they said to me, they said, hey, we're praying for you for the trip. I didn't even know who they were. Like, um, and they're like, you're Tony, right? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, you're going on the trip, right? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, we're praying for you. I'm like, okay. Um, so, yeah, I'm like, I wasn't going to turn it down. So, uh, so James 5.16, and this, this will tie into this one and the next one. But, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. A prayer of a righteous person, when it is brought about, can accomplish much. This not only fits with praying for some, yeah, uh, but what we're going to have coming next. I... I shared when we came back from Puerto Rico, um, the second week, 
I got sick, I had something, I don't know what it was. I went in, I laid down probably for only about an hour. Um, but then somebody said they sent out something on the prayer chain. And like from when I went to bed, like I kind of expected to wake up like three days later. Like I felt horrible. I was walking around Walmart like in a daze. Um, but an hour later, I was up. And um, so, yes. Um, then the last one, I saved the easiest one for the end, and that's being vulnerable. <laughs> so, um, but being vulnerable is also kind of like sharing life with somebody. Um, as a man, that can be terrifying. I know I've stood up here, shed some tears before. Um, I was broke here for a while. I had to work things out with... Um, with God, but then I could work things out with people here at the same point. I wanted people here to fix my problems, and, I, and you kind of feel like nobody, nobody knows your story, so to speak, but the more I talked to people, the more I found out. So uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of the weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Thank you, Lord. Um, a couple weeks back, I shared that my brother had uh, celebrated two years of sobriety, and he had gone, we went down to his AA thing, and um, somebody asked him after the service, they said, were you nervous that, or were you okay that Tony told everybody that you had that? And um, I usually, he lives down in the, just past Villanova, so when I go pick him up, I probably asked you five times that morning on the way in, like, hey, are you okay if I share this story? And he said, yeah, that's fine. He said, um, he said, it's not, how did I write this? He said, it's not, it's not who he is now, it's who he was, um, and he's proud of the progress that he made. Um, so, yep. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens, and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, a couple months back, I would get a text from a friend, and sometimes this is 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, and he'd say, hey, you want to come over for a cigar? And I'm like... At that point, I really just want to go to bed. Um, but I knew he wanted to talk, so um, I remember I'd show up to his house, and all the lights are out in the house, and I'm like, and then he's like, hey, look to the left, and he has this little light in the corner of his field, and he's like, that's where I'm at. So I go over there, and he's sitting in a beach chair, which when you're built like me, beach chairs aren't the most comfortable things to get in and out of. Um, so, but we sat there, we talked for a couple hours. Um, we had another friend come the one night. He came over while we were talking and he shared that his dad was struggling or his dad had had some uh, health issues coming up and he didn't know what to do. But just by gathering together, um, supporting each other, praying for each other, we were able to uh, work through that stuff with God's grace. So, um, so in closing, 
Uh, Judgment House. Who here has helped with Judgment House over the years? Um, I want to say we did it sometime like 22, 24, 25 years ago. We started it over in the old church. Um, It's a walkthrough gospel presentation. Uh, It's an outreach for the community. It depicts life, death, and what happens for those who accept or reject the call of Christ on their lives. The last one we did in 2022 was called My Forever Home, uh, where characters Bob and Frank carry on a conversation on a front porch. The whole premise of that uh, scene was Frank, no, Bob. Bob is explaining to Frank uh, kind of the gospel, and he does it this way, uh, that through forgiveness that only comes from Christ's redeeming work in our lives, we are made whole with him again, which leads to the friendship that he desires with us and ultimately the future that awaits us in glory. So when we stand in the gap for somebody, that's what's at stake. That's why we do that. So uh, let's pray. And then, so, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for... Uh, the youth here, they're an awesome group, Lord. It's a privilege to work with them. And thank you for what you did for us when we didn't deserve it. In your name we pray. Amen.